When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Southern Rock Podcast, a southern storm of bold, liberating rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast, now on Pantheon Podcast. Uh, not only now, but we've been there for a while, and you can go there to find what might be your most preferred music podcast hopefully we're on that list somewhere and it always even though we're a southern rock and blues podcast we got to tell you it's the home of the metallica official metallica podcast um and hey james hetfield he's a southern rock fan he's a big skinnered fan so so that works out because he's a fan of southern rock therefore metallica they're good to be mentioned on this podcast. And Kirk <laughs> Hammett owns the Greeny Les Paul, yeah. right? Which used to be from yeah. Peter Green, which when they were a blues-based. Um, and then it went over to uh, Gary Moore, who was obviously a great guitar blues mm-hmm. rock guy. And now Kirk Hammett. So, like, even Kirk Hammett's got those southern rock and blues going. Man, that's like, um, you know, he, he, when I saw in Howard Stern when they were on there and then Kirk Hammett was talking about like the guy that he bought the guitar from is just to try it out. He goes, you're not getting this guitar back. So what is it like? <laughs> I don't like that's, do you remember the year that was it like late fifties? Because I thought it was a 50. If it's not a 59 verse, it's definitely a late fifties. And one of the things about it is the neck pickup is out of phase. So it's installed the opposite direction and it's twisted. So when it goes to the neck pickup, it's supposed to, or middle pickup with a neck or neck pickup, it gives a different sound that you don't normally get. It, it, obviously you're about like certain last balls just have something, whatever it is. Of course, Charlie star with his, his junior, you know, there's the thing lately, the he's on, I forget the name of the show, uh, the collection, something like that. Yeah. He's on the Gibson guitar channel, the collection uh, where they have, 
artists go in and talk about the guitar collections. Episodes of Slash, Jason Isbell, Kurt Hammock. And it's funny that we're talking about him. And then Charlie Starr, which just dropped on Thanksgiving. Did you know about that show beforehand? Because that's the first I've heard of it. I, I know they've done the Icon series. Yeah, yeah, I had because I've, I've watched some of those previous episodes, like uh, the Slash episode, the Jason Isbell episode. I've seen all those just because I'm a guitar guy. And it's so cool to see all these these dudes bring out their um, their collections. And then we were watching, the, the my wife and I were watching the Charlie Star one yesterday. And the very end, he brings out some Fenders. And she was like, they let him bring Fenders? It's Gibson. How could he do that? Like, well, <laughs> it's like a holistic look at guitars. It's not just Gibson guitars. Yeah, I'll have to check, check that out for sure. Definitely yeah. check it out because he talks about that Black Junior, um, you know, the famous one, even how they hey y'all got put on there mm -hmm. including spelled incorrect or the apostrophe being incorrect like the whole thing and it was cool because you've seen those guys live mm -hmm. so you've seen the guitars he's going to bring yeah. out and talk about so it's super great yeah. and I check it out yeah like i said i've seen little part i watched like a little couple minutes here and there but i'll have to watch the whole thing for sure watch the slash one too it's like less paul after less paul less <laughs> paul with slash uh, jason isbell has quite a bit more variety than slash has but it's it's really cool. So check it out. Hey, what's going on with you? What do you what's what's new with you? What are you into? Well, I've seen other things, you know, cool video stuff. It's always cool to see stuff on YouTube that pops up, whatever. But saw uh, Chris Robinson sat in with Dirty Honey, uh, played Rock and Roll Damnation, and uh, getting rave reviews from everyone in our chat group. Was, I thought that was pretty cool. And also, that was a good ACDC song for both those guys to cover singers. And also, uh, there's the little snippet of Chris and Rich uh, with George Draculius talking about the, when they first uh, teamed up with him or he kind of, you know, went to sign them, get them discovered. Um, pretty funny. You got to check. Yeah, out. I, I can't wait to, you know, I'm really intrigued to listen to the whole interview because they've had a couple different snippets out there. The one thing so far that's disappointing, and that's why I, I want to finally see the whole thing is, they don't really talk about much other current or, or previous band members who worked on those records and played on those tours. And I, I don't, I just hope those guys who are all part of it, you know, the Jeff Cease, Johnny Colts, Steve Gormans, um, Sven's, Mark Ford, all get their due at some point because those albums aren't those albums without the other dudes too. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see what what you know if there's mentions of anybody there. I don't know, maybe there's legal stuff involved there. Who knows? Or it's, you know, just a Chris and Rich, Chris, Chris, Chris and Richism. That could be. Yeah, I know the Southern Harmony re-release they're getting ready to do, like the vinyls and all the all the box that stuff is very Chris and Rich centric and not a whole lot about the other guys. And that just disappoints me, you know, mm -hmm. as a Black Rose fan. So I hope I'm keeping my fingers crossed that more of these interviews, they, they do incorporate other members of the band. Well, I saw like the video that they put out for 99 pounds. Mm -hmm. and it's seen i you know there's some stuff cut out like i think i saw like yeah. one shot of gorman but yeah like johnny i can't remember if i saw mark or Eddie. you might see a glimpse of mark somewhere yeah. and certainly they're probably excluding gorman as much as possible given the lawsuits right now yeah. um which is which is you know very disappointing but but about gorman real fast before you, you move on with some of the other stuff is our buddies at state of america um david and Ian, they just released a, a new podcast last week earlier this week with our friend joe winters from steepwater talking all about steve gorman so uh check it out and everybody listening should also check out that that interview with with joe yeah i started listening to it but i haven't finished it yet 
Um, yeah, get on well, to it. It's really good. I've, uh, you know, it seems like there's periods of time that go by where I'm, I'm not coming across, you know, whether it's a new band or one that I haven't heard about yet. But all of a sudden, this last week here, all of a sudden two pop up. One um, it's called American Mile from Los Angeles. And also in that bio, Keith Nelson, who's Charlie Starr's buddy that in Keith Nelson was in Buck Cherry. He produced some of it or all of it. Him and another guy produced that. That sounds really cool. And then from uh, from our buddy in uh, in Rare Birds, Andrew Kyler, he uh, posted the thing, something going on in Atlanta or whatever. I, I can't I can't remember exactly what it was. I should know, but he talked about the Ides of June. So I listened to them, mm-hmm. and these two bands are very similar. So it's like, thank you, you know, add to the list of people <laughs> got to pursue. Yeah, yeah, and you know, if Andrew recommends them, these guys have been around a long time. He knows talent; they know they're going to be good. And Andrew's become a good friend of the podcast. He is a super cool dude, and I'm I'm looking forward to this mm-hmm. this Christmas thing that we're going to do about the state of Georgia, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe we can get one of those guys from from there to to uh, jump aboard the, the lineup of that. Um, yeah, yeah, should be cool though. But again, if Andrew recommends it. They're going to be good. And also check out Rare Birds. It's a great band out of Atlanta. Yeah. So with our guest coming up, I'm always uh, I'm always so pleased with when there's an artist that I haven't really been aware of. And I'm like, oh, I wonder how this is going to go. And those are the ones that really, I guess I shouldn't say surprise me, but surprise me the most. Like, oh, man, you're, you know, like, I can't wait till you're on again. But he's, he's like, tell us who it is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's Patrick Davis. So he he's a guy that's been around a while. He's done a lot of songwriting, producing, recording for other people. He's doing his own solo stuff right now. Um, this is a guy we found out about actually through through PR, like some people that we've established good relationships recommended him, and and we had him on. And spot on, Brian. It's like you know you don't you, you look at a quick bio, and you're like he's worked with this person, worked with that person, and then you get him on. And the stories are just, uh, I mean. We the hour and it's my fault. We only had an hour. It was Halloween when we recorded it, and it ran right into my trick or treating. Uh, but it's like he's a guy we could talk to for a couple hours. You went trick or treating. We had trick or treaters show up the house. I went. It was too cold for me to go, but there was plenty yeah. of people out trick or treating. But he's a guy we could talk to for a lot yeah. longer than an hour. Yeah, he, he's a natural guy. He's been there since the early two thousands. I think he's he's got moved there even before Gorman and. So I enjoyed hearing all about that stuff and talks a little bit, a little bit and a little bit more about Robert Randolph. So you guys uh, kick back, relax and listen to our conversation as my uh, my uh, my four legged security system goes off. Listen to our conversation with Patrick Davis. Through the wall, you hear 
We're here at the guest segment of the podcast, and Jason's going to introduce our guest that we told you about in our intro, as he always does for you guys, the listeners. Absolutely. And actually, I'm kind of fascinated to talk to this guy. He has a pretty big career as an artist, a songwriter, everything else. He's worked with works with some pretty impressive people at the same time. So welcome to the show for the first time out of Nashville, Tennessee, like where everybody's from. Patrick Davis. How are you doing, Patrick? Hey guys, how y'all doing? Thanks for having me. I am uh, I am out of Nashville, but I actually originally uh, out of South Carolina. So I'll take I'll take that. So uh, we'll accept that answer. What part of South Carolina? I grew up in a place called Camden, South Carolina. I was born. My dad was a guitar player, and he moved up here to Nashville. Um, and so I was actually born in Murfreesboro, but at about six months uh, six months uh, old, they moved me back home, and uh, and then I uh, I lived in Camden, South Carolina. So I I claim South Carolina to be home. So I guess I have dual citizenship. So, yeah. <laughs> when did you go? When did you go back to Nashville? I graduated uh, from the University of South Carolina uh, 2000, 2001, and uh, I moved up here in January of 2002. Uh, I, I kind of decided, um, you know, back in the day of liner notes, um, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with. I'm seeing all the posters behind you there. Um, those are uh, those, uh, you know, used to look at um, albums and figure out who the songwriters were, the musicians. And I realized that even though I didn't grow up on country music, I, I recognized that a lot of the people that I loved um uh, regardless of genre of music, were stationed in Nashville. So I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." And uh, and as a as a, I love Guy Clark and um, uh, Steve Earle and some people like that. They were kind of on the fringes of country music. And as yeah. songwriters, I was like, "Oh, they can live there and not have to do you know cookie cutter you know <laughs> country music." And I was like, "So that was kind of my reason for moving up here. I thought it was a safe spot, you know." So it changed a lot in the past twenty so uh, so on years a lot bigger out there and you know it, the whole scene itself is not just country music it's a lot of rock a lot of pop yeah yeah it's it's always been like that um nashville has always been uh you know a nice little stew of of incredible music of course everybody knows the country stuff but yeah the past uh decade or so has just kind of been insane um you know i i think if you talk to anyone here um who's been here for a long time and if they tell you they like what's happened here then they're lying um <laughs> so uh <laughs> well, that's kind of funny because brian we've been on a good run recently with a lot of nashville like rock artists like um damon johnson and brian forsyth and tony higby and all these guys who one we found they sort of had this community of just like rockers in, in a certain area and yes yeah. and two just kind of the communities that they tied themselves to yeah there's i mean there definitely is i mean there's a you know uh I think as the music business um, started shrinking, the finances of the music business started shrinking. You know, it used to be in uh, such a great L.A. scene. There used to be such a, a great, you know, Austin and, and Texas, of course, is live music, live music. But there was, a you know, New York, these places, they kind of all dried up. And so everyone realized that that Nashville was like the last fortress. You know, it was like everybody was going to that that last, uh, re, uh, I don't know, retreating to Nashville. And so we do have... Um, the best musicians in the world. It's not even, it's not even close. The best songwriters in the world. It's, it's, um, you know, uh, my, my buddy, Robert Randolph always says, if you can make it playing in the, uh, bars and, and restaurants or, or clubs in New York, then you're, you know, you can make it anywhere. And that's kind of how it is in Nashville. If you can make it as a songwriter, or if you can make it as a, uh, as a musician, like especially guitar player, I mean, the, the session guys here are just, they're otherworldly. And if you can make it here, um, well, you know, you can make it anywhere, I guess is the way it kind of works. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So since you got there in 2002, is it is it has it changed changed drastically? Like when you make a reference to if someone says they like what's going on, they're probably lying. Now we know, of course, like the the tourist thing on on Broadway and all that, but there's other things outside of there too. Yeah, it, just too many people get going just, there. Or? Way too many people. It's it, it's it's kind of become like Vegas. Um, you know, it's like a character of itself almost. Um, you know, you go into the you know, you fly into the airport and all of a sudden it's, you know, the same places you see on Broadway, which is our main drag. Those exact same honky tonks are now they have restaurants and bars in the airport, you know, which is like Vegas with the slot machines, essentially. Mm -hmm, yeah. and, and then, um, you know, I own a, I, I'm fortunate enough to own a couple bars here. Um, and so I love that part of it because there's just people, there's always people in the bars. Um, but it's uh, in terms of music, it's really changed because our community changed. I, I don't know those uh, rockers you were talking about. That's a little different than probably my world, but but I'm glad that they have a community because it, it's gotten harder and harder in Nashville to find community. When I first got here, I, I always tell kind of the same story, but I remember being here for maybe a year, maybe maybe less. And, you know, there was only like five or 10 places that everybody went. And that meant everybody from the largest biggest selling country artist to any of the guys that were in town that were like rockers. And I remember being at a place called the Bowery. Uh, I think it was the Bowery ballroom. Um, yeah. And we were, and uh, not the Bowery ballroom. Is in the, it, it doesn't matter. Anyway, we were in a place on, uh, on 12th South and, um, and in the, in the bar, in this tiny little bar, it was Neil Young. It was Kenny Chesney. It was Ryan Adams. And then just a bunch of just oh Nashville regulars just hanging out like it, because that was how it was. You all, you could go out every night of the week and everywhere you went, you were going to know people in the bar. And I could literally go out in Nashville now and go out every night of the week and not run into one person I know. And that, that really changes the community atmosphere that we had here. It was such a small, cool little um, enclave of, 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 creativity and it doesn't mean that that still doesn't exist here it's just a lot harder to find because you know with tourists comes investors and it comes you know these big conglomerates and a bunch of people that could give two shits about the music corporations they're, they're, they're. ruined everything <laughs> video killed the radio star you know whatever so there you go <laughs>
Do you think that there's anywhere else where where there's an actual, you know, uh, insular scene anywhere, or is the scene, you know, is the scene on social media? Like, like, like you said, like when you got to Nashville, it was smaller insular. Is there anywhere else you come across where there's something? Like that happening, or is that just you not, mean it? Not, you mean just on, you mean on wherever, the road anywhere else? whether whether any in wherever any place well, in the southeast think, or whatever. I think that you have um, pockets of that. I, I mean, I think New Orleans will always have what New Orleans has, even though New Orleans is Bourbon Street. Like you know, you go to those you go to those bars off the off of Bourbon Street. You know, you go to Preservation Jazz Hall. You go these different places. You're gonna you're gonna hear some of the best musicians in the world. And I've always thought that if I tell, I took, we were talking about New Orleans. Like I have a number of friends from down there. So, you know, Mark Broussard and I talk about it and I go, man, I go, if you can play in New Orleans and like, if you came from there and you're still making music and you're older, you are better than me. Because <laughs> there's just no way you can't be. I mean, like, you know, Branford Marcellus, my latest single that I released, my buddy Branford Marcellus played on it. And Branford, you know, the whole Marcellus family, you know, I mean, those guys are just, they're just on another on another planet. And I mean, even speaking for someone who is is you know dear friends with so many of the amazing musicians in Nashville, those guys are still even on a they 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 dance to a different drum. You know, they, they've got a different beat in their their heartbeat is just a little different than ours. You know, and so um, I feel like New Orleans. I feel like Austin. I mean, I saw that Stevie Ray Vaughan poster behind you. You know, like I think that um, uh, Austin still has it. You know, I I think there's a uh, you know I don't know Gary Clark Jr. those guys. You know that, that mm -hmm. are there, but there's also you, you know, you, you're kind of the Stevie Rays of the world, those guys in the late seventies and eighties, they, they raised the bar so high um, that if you are going to be a real musician and really be able to tour and play in that, in Austin, Texas, you know, I mean, there's a Texas music scene, which is kind of different, but if you're going to be a blues guy or you're going to rock guy, you better be a badass, you know? And so that's kind of how I feel about Nashville too. I think, um, I just don't think there's that many. I think there used to be a lot of those little places. You know, Seattle had its time. You know, like it's, uh, right. you know, I, I just think that that's kind of changed as um, a lot of us have been, a lot of creators have been priced out. You know, we need mm -hmm. cheap places to live so that yeah. the kids that are 19 and 20 that are dreaming can survive and they need to have some older cats that maybe are bitter and not at quite as, you know, don't have the <laughs> odds to make it, but they're still going to be working really hard to kind of the, to, uh, you know, help the institution you know help that it's like a college you know they, you need that you need the ability for these kids to grow up and and have that opportunity i think it's gotten harder and harder in nashville we're seeing folks move outside of the city there's a place called uh, mm -hmm. out in madison and a few other places that are starting to become like little uh pockets um it used to be east nashville it used to be you know uh austin had like you know they keep austin weird you know different areas you know um but yeah I, as i see I, I just think that new orleans is one of the only place that won't that will not be touched it's New Orleans is still New Orleans when it comes down to that music. I'm just curious because we've, you know, surprisingly, one thing nice a byproduct of the podcast is we've become friends with uh, Greg Martin and and uh, Richard Young from the Kentucky Headhunters. And they're still, oh, okay. there's a good thing, you know, that South Central Kentucky area. Yeah, yeah. There's so many good musicians from there. And then there's something like kind of percolating like in North, North Georgia, Rome, Georgia area. So I'm just wondering, like, if you're ever out playing or on tour, if there's anything that outside of like those you know bigger cities that you've ever yeah. come across that oh there's something going on here 
Well, I, I definitely will say like there's Charleston, South Carolina has its own scene. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it's it doesn't necessarily translate always outside of those markets. You know, I think when you're talking mm -hmm. about Kentucky, a lot of the stuff in Kentucky, it, it does translate outside of, you know, it, it seems to be kind of exactly what's going on right now. You get that West Virginia, you know, Ohio, you get to that like that little Ohio Valley area. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you you really have. Um, you know, I think that is, isn't that where Tyler Childers is from is for Stapleton's from that area, like all these big, huge artists. Um, and I, it's probably a, I've thought about it before. It's probably a, um, you know, we had a very polished sounding music that was happening in mainstream music for about, you know, from the late nineties, really I mean, early two thousands, it was just super polished, super polished music in it the, for the popular sound. And I mm -hmm. think it's almost like the pendulum swung to the other aside when you had like someone that sounds kind of guttural like you know stapleton has that thing i think mm -hmm. you know uh sturgill uh simpson those guys that's not necessarily my, my music i do appreciate it because i know it's how, how much talent they have but i really think that that's kind of what's happened now and i do know that a lot of guys from that kentucky area um you know and that's another area that's kind of like austin texas it's like if you're a bluegrasser and you're from the appalachian mountains or you're from like that kentucky valley well you the only chance you have is if you are the best of the best and so that that maybe that's why that music um you know the uh you got to be you got to you got to up your game you know you can't you can't skate by with the three chords and a and a, and a catchy song up there that explains my lost musical career <laughs> <laughs> well patrick you know brian go ahead and like we lead off with the first question 15 minutes in well yeah oh, i mean if we could just get more of an abbreviated version of like how, how you got started in music like when you first started playing and then up you know and then go to the point where you this was going to be your career and and whatnot. yeah uh man i grew up my dad is a as a guitar slinger uh you know he's kind of a, um i always I, I always say this but it's true he was literally the eric clapton of three counties in south carolina you know he's nice. that guy that just he just played when I, he was a school teacher um, but he he did that, you know, begrudgingly. I mean, he didn't want to be a school teacher. He wanted to be, uh, you know, he wanted to be in cream, you know. So uh, he um, he decided uh, he was going to teach to make sure the children could eat. And then he would play on, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. It was always packing up, you know, the car, the, you know, the van, the, the, whatever we, they had at the house at the time and uh, and going out and playing uh, weekend warrior gigs. And so I kind of grew up around music, but I played sports growing up. So I didn't really play music and till I was about 15 I heard uh Tangerine by Led Zeppelin and oh. I was like I was like man I was like that's such a cool intro you know and and um and I asked my dad if he'd teach it to me and and I I still play it pretty terribly now but at least I learned <laughs> a little bit of it then and um and but that was Led Zeppelin 3 is awesome like that's that's that the acoustic music album. that's the right yeah. thing yeah. it's kind of the acoustic album it's, it's like a, and yeah. for me I I think I probably naturally um gravitated away from trying to be a guitar uh hero because my dad was was really great at it and so i i kind of went towards the songwriter aspect of things um i really fell in love with you know uh, back you know of course every you know the beatles and all, all that uh, but it's definitely like neil young and james taylor and and then i remember hearing like tracy chapman and being like and i kind of sound like tracy chapman so it's like it's like and then i found out i love it and then the guy called me so so i had this like kind of i always went towards the songwriter uh more so than the guitar in in uh more recent times i've kind of tried to become a little bit better on, on the guitar but but it was really for me was more about what can i do with writing a song and so that was what led me to move to nashville was recognizing that well if i want to be a performer i can i can always perform 
Um, but I might have better odds um, at writing songs. And I grew up listening to Springsteen and stuff and Tom Petty. So I go, well, if I just change a few of these words, I'm pretty sure that I can make these country songs. You know, the, the river is is essentially a country song. If you, you know, you maybe make a couple of the factory jobs, you know, I don't know, like, you know, downtown at the diner, farming jobs. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Farming jobs. So um, <laughs> that was kind of my, um, I guess the uh, genesis of me moving to Nashville. And, and then I, I kind of started getting songs recorded by some artists and, and that fortunately and unfortunately, because I'd never really wanted to just write. So I didn't listen to country. I don't listen to country music. You put a gun to my head right now. I couldn't tell you any songs on the radio. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's just that for me, I started writing these songs and I, and I was in Nashville and Nashville was a small community. So I have a lot of friends in the country music industry like very sure. high up the food chain and so i would i would be writing songs for them but it became a situation where i was getting paid a lot of money to write these songs so you kind of get stuck in that so i did that for about a decade and then just realized i was just pretty miserable with that it just didn't feel like i was doing anything that was authentic i guess you know it's such a buzzword but just it just wasn't me and um and i decided i was going to start kind of doing a little bit more of what i wanted me wanted to be uh you know i wanted to be me and so that's kind of where i i am now i uh, i started a band called patrick davison's midnight choir which is kind of a it's a big 12-piece band with horns and background singers i i grew up loving joe cocker and mad dogs and englishman and mm -hmm. ray charles and yeah. i love i love it in his large band so that and springsteen so it was kind of like having this sound in my head come to life and i do probably i don't know probably 25 to 35 shows a year with that um, I still write songs for folks every now and then I have, uh, I, you know, I play a lot of shows by myself on the road. You know, I have an event called songwriters in paradise, which is a festival, um, that I do in, uh, it's been pretty successful. I do it in Napa. I do it in, uh, Sonoma and Hillsburg. I do it in Cabo. I do it in, in the Bahamas. Oh, so that's a terrible, country. terrible, terrible deal to have to do, but it all comes back to music and writing songs. And, um, you know, the, that, that first a minor for, uh, for Led Zeppelin and Tangerine back when I was 15. So what what uh, give us kind of like a rundown of 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 you know your last your last couple studio efforts and and uh, um, just tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, I uh, well the past um, even when I was just writing songs for folks, I would always try to kind of like feed that little beast inside of me that wanted to do his own music too. And so I would I, I released albums. Uh, the, the album that actually. Uh, essentially got me started even in just the Nashville writing scene was an album that I did. It was actually 20 years ago last week was when I released that album. And that was, uh, it's called Chances Are. And that album was just, you know, I I wrote 10, 12 songs. I don't remember how many it is now, but, but, you know, when you're a kid, you think that the 12 songs you wrote are probably the greatest 12 songs in the history of music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And now, now listen to them now. I'm like, oh, you know, there's a couple of them that are that still stand the test of time. But but I did that and and <clears throat> that kind of got me kickstarted. So people heard it, uh, you know, being from South Carolina, uh, the Hootie and the Blowfish guys heard it. Edwin McCain. These are kind of Well, you names. worked with Darius Rucker. I'm looking at your resume. Yeah, yeah. So Darius and I became buddies. And and so that that did parlay into some success. Um, it was kind of, you always got to put that out there. And, and that was, I tell any kid now, I go, man, you gotta, you know, you gotta put something out. So people have an idea of who you are, because if you don't put something out, well, people are going to tell people, they're going to make up their own version of who you are. And, yeah. um, so I, I did that. And then in the past few years, you know, I always would release stuff, but over the past five years or so, it's when it's actually kind of kicked into being me. Um, I released an EP in 2017 or 18 called, where does it go? Um, that was kind of the first time I was like, okay, this is kind of what I'm going for. I did a, during the pandemic, um, 
you know, the early days of it, I was like, man, I was like, it sounds like we're going to be at home for two weeks. I probably should do something to take, you know, spend the next couple of weeks doing something. So I decided I was going to learn a cover song every day. And I thought it was going to be two weeks of cover songs, it like 70 days in a row of learning a cover song and putting it on, you know, social media. I was exhausted, but I did have enough uh, material to where I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make an album. So I made an album called Co uh, Couch Covers, which is 10 songs, um, uh, that some of my favorite covers, you know, it's everything from Imagine by John Lennon to, uh, to, you know, Rocket Man by Elton John, you know, um, mm -hmm. but it, that was really fun. And that was kind of another example of me kind of stretching my legs and kind of figure, even though it was other people's songs, still figuring out what I wanted to sound like in the studio. And so now um, I'm working on this album called Carolina When I Die, which will probably not end up being fully released until March, April. But in this new world where Spotify and Apple and where you got to release singles all the time to keep the algorithm putting you into the you know, into the world uh, of your listeners. Um, we've, we've released, uh, I think we've released three songs um, so far. And uh, the, like I said, the last one was called wrong side of the tracks, which, uh, which I actually wrote with my late friend guy Clark and, and I had Bradford Marcellus uh, on it. And, um, and it's been, been doing pretty well. It's just a, you know, you got to get the word out there. That's, that's, that's the thing in today's world, you got to do podcasts. There you go. This is this is the new radio, TV, 100%, print yeah. journalism. But the good part is we can talk about random shit and it's not the same interview every time. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Somebody. So first, I got a question, a question, a real a funny question. And then second, I have a real question. All right. Okay, go ahead. You're a big Lyle Lovett fan. What's been the greatest moment of his career? Of Lyle Lovett's career? Yeah. Man, greatest moment. Um, I think his best... Road to Ensenada is probably the best Lyle Lovett example of craftsmanship. Oh, I didn't say it had to be music. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. It's definitely not. It's not definitely not Julia Roberts. Um, you know, I mean, I think that that was the thing that I, you know, that's that's actually something that is really interesting. It's um, you know, if you were in a you know psychology class at Harvard or something, and they wanted to give you an example of what happens when you get into lexicon of popular culture. I mean, Lyle Lovett was was definitely um, you know probably on his way to being a, you know, a kind of a cult hero in certain mm -hmm. places. But, but the only reason that, that I, I went and saw him recently with a large band in Nashville and you could, you, you recognize that a lot of those fans probably just came on board in the early nineties, you know, when he was with Julia Roberts, you know, and I'm, I, that's great that it works out. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I would, I would say his, his greatest moment is, is, uh, is, is Road to Ensenada. Is my, is, I think that, I think that's, that is the, there's some songs on that album that are just that are just uh and he has a master class in songwriting and so many. He Absolutely. was he was a he was a writer beforehand. That's what he was, you know. Um I mean an actual like he wrote for his paper and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's just so natural and effortless. I um I definitely uh, uh a huge fan and and always have been. And he's and he's cut and he does the country stuff too. And I Yeah, it does. Yeah. I just wasn't really I, he was one of the first people I listened to. I was like, country, all right, I'll a little take rockabilly, a little Americana. Yeah, and, and humor, humor is kind of the thing, you know, it's kind of like John Prine. There's I, I try my best to have a little bit of that, you know, it's you can't take yourself too seriously. And Lyle Lovett does a great job of not taking himself too seriously. And I think that's what people um, you know, what's funny about Lyle Lovett is I I would have found him much earlier in my life, but you know, there was no Google, there was no internet back in the late 90s uh, when I was a kid. I, I remember I heard a song called Something About a Boat. And I thought it was a Tracy Chapman song because it does kind of sound like if you'd never heard, it, I was like, man, Tracy Chapman's got a song about a boat. I went to the record store back in the back then trying to find talk to the guys about this tracy chapman song about a boat looked at everything i could never found it then five years later somebody told me i sounded like lyle love it when i was doing a show i i go in the catalog and i go 
that's the damn song. So, you know, it's kind of, kind of funny how that all works. You know, I could have, could have found it in two seconds in today's world, but you know, that was the world we lived in. My parents are huge. I love it fans. So I've heard a lot of the music and he really is, he really is a good artist. So, all right, I'll, we'll get past the humor question. Now okay. we'll go to the real question on your covers album, man, you did pink moon by Nick Drake and like Nick Drake is a musician's musician. And I like, I don't know if he's actually got the widespread mainstream success, but all musicians love him. Like the Robinson brothers from the black crows, you like, what is it about Nick Drake? Uh, Nick Drake. I found Nick Drake, you know, it's, uh, do you remember the commercial? One of the most beautiful commercials. I think it won a bunch of awards. It was a, it's a Volkswagen commercial back in the um, late nineties, early two thousands. And it's got, it's got pink moon in it. And it, and it's, it's just, it's a black and white. It's, it's, it's an incredible commercial. If you if you if you want to spend you know thirty seconds of your life, go find it. It, it really is okay. legendary commercial. And that's I was like, what is this song? You know, because it, it it just sounds so honest and it's so stripped and it's raw and it's just like I don't even know what the hell he's singing about. What is a pink moon? I don't know. Um, you know, and uh, and as I got a little older, you know, and and you you recognize, you know, you know, he had he had a lot of struggles with you know mental health and you know mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that stuff. And 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 you listen to the music. Um, it does fall into that super raw category. I'm a huge Van Morrison fan. And a yep. lot of what Van Morrison did with the open tuning guitar, mm -hmm. you know, open tuning yep. guitar. Yep. Um, and, and it, and it kind of, it's a, it's like ambient, it's ethereal music, you know, it's kind of, it's a beautiful, and that's what Nick Drake was really great at. And a lot, I mean, a lot of his stuff is super, super depressing, mm -hmm. but you can put it on and, and you get this feeling you're, you're, you know, it's exactly who he was. You know, you, you don't have to think much about it. You're like, this person is telling me, things that are directly from his soul. And I think that's kind of um, my take on Nick Drake. And when I, when I learned uh, Pink Moon, which is in a wacky tuning, I would never, it's the only, I hardly ever What's the tuning? Five. What tuning is it? Do you remember? It's like CSUS 4, which is just a really ridiculous tuning. And he's Why? tapered up, you know, like. Why? I, apparently there's a few different songs that he's done like that, but that's how, you know, um, that was, you know, back then people were allowed to be strange and weird. It did, you know, now it, it, it that would be such a, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's like the the uh, uh, Stephen Stills, you know, when he did uh, "Sweet Judy Blue Eyes." That's in a wacky. All those songs are in crazy tunings, and we don't really see that as much anymore. Um, I think with technology today, a lot of people, uh, when they write, they're writing at a computer with a guitar and they loop something, and it and it, it you know, I I really love it. I think you mentioned the Black Crows. The Black Crows are always in open tunings, and always, so I, yeah. I I think that that's probably a part of the reason why so many musicians really appreciate Nick Drake. And I'm glad yeah, you like the song because that's my favorite. That's actually my favorite song on the Couch Covers album because I, it's really hard to do something that um, when those I, I I didn't pick songs that aren't already amazing. It's hard, you know. You can but you can really mess those up. And for that particular song, I go, man, it's it sounds like me. People people have no idea what that song is, um, but I hope that they they love it and they go, what is this? And then they go find more Nick Drake, you know. <laughs> Brian, you know, Rich Robinson loved Nick Drake and like he's right. Uh, Patrick's right. Like the open tunings are one of the things that he's taken to his guitar playing. Yeah. So you mentioned Robert Randolph earlier. Like, How long have you known him and, and what what's, what have you done with him and friendship and music wise? Man, Robert and I have been boys for for about we, we, wrote, we wrote for the same publishing house back in the, when I first got my first publishing deal. Um, I, I've written for Warner uh, Chapel Music Publishing for I don't even know a decade or so now, but I always say I've basically written for it for 20 years because the same person that brought me to EMI 20 years ago is now the head of Warner Chapel. So I just kind of followed him over EMI, which got sold to Sony about a decade ago, 
that was the publishing house that me and uh, myself and Robert were both on. And so we, we wrote together there, uh, there and just became buddies, you know, kind of hit it off. We've, you know, I've, I've written a number of songs for Robert over the years. Um, and also we, he's played on a couple of tracks that I've done in the studio and, and we just, you know, if he comes to Nashville, we go out and, uh, I, I try to keep up with him, which is very hard to do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we, uh, we have a, we have a great time. We've, I've gone to, uh, let me see, we've done, we've done some crazy shit together. I'll put it like that. He's a, he's a great, he's a lot of fun. We, you know, he's taking me to the crossroads festival, you know, um, yeah. I think one of the festivals, uh, one of the first crossroads, I don't know, maybe not, but we did one in Chicago one time and, and that was a, a big adventure just because, you know, he's in, Robert's in such a rarefied air when it comes to the guitar gods mm-hmm. of the world. Um, mm-hmm. He's just kind of, you know, when Jeff Beck died, you know, Clapton asked him to come over and do the event over. And, um, and you know, and it was great because one of my, another one of my differences is Imelda May and Imelda is, you know, to sing with Jeff. And so it it's like, it was nice to see those, those worlds kind of collide um, because they had never met before. And, um, but it's just, Robert is a, is a really great uh He's he's a lot of fun. He's also a New York Giants fan. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, so we talk a lot oh. of smack. So so you know we Opposite do that. Opposite ends of the know. spectrum this season. Yeah yeah for sure sure. I don't know, but we have a, we have a good time. We actually were texting yesterday about something. And I actually told him. I said, "When you come to town, I was like, we need to we need to write." I was like, "And the only thing we can write are Grammy winners." I was like, "It's time for you to win some Grammys because he's been nominated a few times." I was like, "We got you got Grammy winners." So <laughs> it's time. So being a, a songwriter and part of a publishing publishing house as a business aspect how does that work they pay you by song by art like what is like how do you make a living as a songwriter uh it's different every person of course is different but the the, the general rule is that they will pay you a, a stipend for if you're just a songwriter let's say they're going to give you a hundred dollars a year that's not the number but you know hundred dollars right. a year and you have to turn in um 12 songs and those 12 songs that means a hundred percent song so 12 songs you can either write 12 songs by yourself or you could write 24 songs with, you know, whereas two people wrote them, which would still count as 12 songs or, you know, you do the math, you know, or 36, yeah. you know. Um, and so and and their job is to help you get those songs recorded. Uh, hopefully they will, you know, they will have the ability to get your count. Like, you know, we talk about Robert. Well, Robert and I met because my publishing company, we wrote at the same publishing company. So he, you know, his his guy, which is a guy named Evan Lamberg at the time in New York, uh, was I was with Evan as well, uh, and my guy in Nashville, Ben Vaughn, they they brought us together, and so that would have never, probably would not have happened if we would not have been on the same publishing company, um, and so that's that's a big um, bonus to having a publisher. Um, they kind of make your calendar. Um, they're out there pitching you, you know, because they're they're going to pitch you a lot better than you could, um, and then at the end of that year, let's say you have those twelve songs, um, they will determine if you have if they believe that you're on the right track to continue to write for them for another hundred dollars for the next year. Um, and usually there's a two or three year deal. They don't usually just give you a one year deal, mm-hmm. but that's how it works. If you're a songwriter, if you're a, if you're an artist and they give you a deal, they'll say, they'll say, well, we're going to pay you a million dollars for, you know, you to be a writer for this company, but um, you'll get half a million dollars up front today. Um, and then you'll get the other half when on your album, there are half of the album is written by you. So what ends up happening is there was a time that in country music in particular, this is one of the reasons why I kind of saw the writing on the wall where we weren't going to make as much money in, in the, in the business. Um, all of a sudden these artists were highly incentivized to write their own songs on an album. 
when that used to not be the case, it used to not matter. They didn't have these public, the publishing houses weren't giving artists that weren't writers. You know, the Beatles would get one because well, they wrote their own music. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like the who they wrote their own music, you know, th that world, it was always the way, but in country music, you know, a lot of the artists, whether it be Garth Brooks or Reba McIntyre or, you know, Rascal Flatts, they didn't write their own music. And so they weren't getting publishing deals. Well, all of a sudden the publishers wised up and they said, well, if we just give this person this amount of money and tell them they don't get the second half until they have this many songs in their albums, they're going to be writers on everything. And what that does is it makes it to where every artist now wants to be a writer. And the truth mm -hmm. is, is that every artist is not a writer. So it really <laughs> watered down the music and it made it to where it took away the ability for songs that were just written by two songwriters. Like, you know, we could mm -hmm. write a song, the three of us could write a song. And the odds it would of that be song, great too if we it, did. It would be amazing, <laughs> and it could it could be the best song ever. But the odds of it getting recorded go down just exponentially because we yeah. don't have an artist, a country artist, in the room. So the only way to get make money in today's world, the country genre as a songwriter and the pop world as well. That's why you see like fifteen writers on every song uh, is is because yeah. you have to have the artist on there because they won't cut it, and it doesn't even matter if they if they sat in the corner and played on their phone the whole time. And that's not how all of them are like Chris Stapleton, yeah. insane writer. Like, you know, the brothers Osborne, Miranda Lambert, these, these are country artists, like these guys, amazing songwriters, but that's, that's more of the, that's not the necessarily the norm. Um, so it's definitely changed the, you know, I always used to say that I, I could listen to about 50% of what happens on country radio. If I had to, um, you know, back when I first moved here, I was like, well, 50% of it is just going to be what it's going to be. And there's, you know, 40 or 50%. I go, those are pretty good songs. And now that percentage, if I had to listen to it, I'd say it was probably five, 10% of those songs. And a lot of that, I, I directly associate with the fact that the songwriter no longer can just write the song in a room with another songwriter and spend all their time. You know, they craft thousands and thousands and thousands of songs to get this perfect thing. And that perfect song, the best song just does not win in Nashville uh, the way it used to now. So anyway, I'm just trying to tell everybody not to move to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one last question about songwriting, and then we'll get back to your music and your, yeah, your yeah. album and everything that's coming out. But you did a lot with Jewel. Like, yeah. how, how was that? I, I like Jewel. Yeah, no, Jewel. I mean, she's one of those people that, um, you know, she's kind of, you know, like Robert, we talk about Robert Randolph. Robert has such a virtuoso, uh, virtuoso uh, talent when it comes to his, you know, what he could do on the, on the still. Um, and Jewel's like that as well. She's got such an incredible there's a place in her voice that um, nobody can touch. Like, it's like, she has this range. I think a lot of, there's certain people like Nora Jones or certain people, if they stay in that place, like, it's just like, holy shit, that is incredible. And that's what Jewel is is capable of. And so working with Jewel, we, we've been friends for a long time. And, um, you know, uh, I don't see her as much. We text every now and then. She lives out in Colorado. I don't see her as much. Tell her I said hi that. next time you text. She <laughs> I, I will. I will make sure that she knows. Uh, but she is. She's a. You know. She's. She's a. She's a sweet, sweet woman, and she's a. She's insanely talented, and I and I Great love writing voice. with her. Oh, Impressive yeah. voice. Oh, incredible, and and she's also you know she's she's uh you know like I said we just heard an acoustic guitar man it's it's hard to. You know, I've heard stories. She's told stories of opening up for Dylan at Madison Square Garden, just heard an acoustic guitar. You know, it's just like that is oh. just that is an that is an incredible thing to be able to have the you know the balls. You know, like she's a woman, but she got some big ass balls. You know, that's where she's <laughs> best at. Like to be honest with you, because I've heard like all aspects of her yeah. and just an acoustic guitar. That's where I think she shines the power of her performance. Yeah, and that's where that's where the the clarity and the crispness of her voice. It's almost like um. A lot of artists, you know, we get told we need more and more and more stuff on on recordings, but some of the 
some of the real artists where they win is when it's just that's why i remember hearing Nora jones i brought it up earlier but i remember, mm -hmm. remember hearing Nora jones when she first came out and actually trying to figure out if it was just a demo that i was hearing of somebody local like playing on the radio like a like a because i was like man this is so stripped down and so sparse mm -hmm. this is not what we're used to hearing and then you recognize well when you have something that beautiful, it less is actually more. It's like, you know, it's like ACDC, like it's four piece band, you know, like it's like, right. it's still, it sounds huge because there's space. And that's a, that's a hard lesson. And Jewel has that same ability. Um, just her and an acoustic guitar allows for that. Uh, what makes her so special to come through. So I wanted to ask you, you know, our podcast, all things blues and Southern rock. Do you have any a blues artists that, that you're fond of or any, uh, you know, southernish kind of style oh man no i mean bands I, that, that, that i literally you... grew up on i literally grew up on i mean i, I, I mentioned some of the bands but I, I mean the almond brothers were like that, that that was our that was what we grew up. my dad like i mean he's still to this day like you know if i go to south carolina and I play it play with him in his little you know blues rock outfit that is in the corner of a of a little bar we're gonna play about uh you know three hours and about two and a half hours are gonna be the almond <laughs> sign me not, up not really not up. really not really that much but uh but no man i mean i just i grew up you know uh with you know Dwayne and and uh and dickie betts were just you know that was that was the soundtrack of of, of much of my childhood you know and i and I, like i said it was before i recognized i always loved it um i think it took me till i was much older to really start start deciphering just how incredible that music is the guitar playing you know i mean same thing with skinner i mean like you know skinner kind of gets a bad rap because of, you know but like i mean god i mean like what uh what a band i mean like you know they wrote those mm -hmm. like i don't know if it's gary rosentine or whoever wrote the wrote you know uh Freebird, like he's 17 years the, the licks you know like i mean like listening to those licks that those guys and, and Derek trucks is i mean so one of my oh, yeah. know, one of the guys that yep. one of my stars of paradise uh performers that, that comes and a, a friend of mine is gabe dixon who plays keys for Tedeschi trucks and you know and I've, I've been fortunate enough to stand on the side of the stage even at that crossroads i stood on the side of the stage right beside Derek as he played and it's just like you're just like what are you doing like i don't even understand like this is you were speaking a completely different language it's, you know it's, it's the way I, I look at Brantford marcellus these guys that just is so it's like breathing to them you know and that's what um that's that's how i uh i, I love listening to that music that's the music that like I, i'll put on live at the fillmore east and i can listen to it just you know on repeat for you could put on for a week and i won't be mad you know like i'm like it's it's that it's that good you know so mm -hmm. so yeah the uh the southern rock thing for me is um it's it's a uh, I I I can't imagine anything that's much better than that. You know I love I love the uh, you know Greg Allman and the his autobiography. You know, he's just he's describing like we didn't know what we were doing. We were just making it all up. You know and they, and they were. You know now everybody does. You know if you you know there's just so many licks and so many things that are just. Um, I, but I, I definitely remember my, some of my earliest memory, my concerts, earliest concerts, even though I was in high school, I went and saw the Allman brothers and, you know, and some of those nice. guys and, and re remember seeing them walk out there and put a, put a, uh, I was so naive. I know what it was. They put a towel over Dickie Betts head and he reached down and somebody had something in their hand. And I was like, what are they doing now? I know it was cocaine, but at the time I know what it was, you know, like, it's just like, you know, it's just, and actually, and I actually did, if you're, if you're, this is Southern rock, you know, uh, such, you know, I actually with Robert, I was at, um, an awards dinner. Um, this is probably a decade or more ago. Cause I guess Greg Allman's been passed away for a while, but I, I was lucky enough to hang out with Greg Allman a couple of times. And I sat at the same table as, as Greg Allman. And, and, uh, we talked and this is a true 100% true story. You know, I got to talk to him. He was performing that night. He, he did Melissa and a couple of things. And this was still, I don't know if he ever really stopped. I don't know. I don't know what happened if he got sober or not. But man, I, I, he was leaving and I, I, I was 
walking out and he was walking out and he was getting onto the elevator with these two women. And I said, uh, I said, all right, Greg, it's so nice talking to you, man. Thank you. What you gonna do for the rest of the night? He goes, I got some Coke and some hookers in the room and the doors closed. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if that was true or not, but I want to believe that, you know what? It's just, it's just rock and roll, baby. I just, it was pretty memory. We shall all believe listening that it's true. I just it was just such an amazing uh you know but I, I did I got to um I got to hang out with uh with you know with him and, and that was that was really nice and uh I saw him one more I saw him a couple more times but he was always you know he he didn't remember me from Adam of course I mean like how oh, yeah he just had hookers and blow yeah so but, uh, but yeah that's um I would hope yeah you guys are uh but yeah so what do, what are you guys like what are y'all uh what's y'all's what's y'all's music of choice like I mean like what what is the southern rock and blues like who are your faves Go ahead, Jason. Go first. Oh, oh, well, we're big Blackberry Smoke fans. Yep, yep. And obviously the Black Crows, Led Zeppelin, like modern bands, um, for sure. Um, I love like uh, um, Government Mule. I mean, yeah, Warren yeah. Haynes, that kind of stuff. That's kind of what we're into. Blue, uh, blue is like J.D. Simo, Nashville guy. You got to know J.D. Simo, right? No. Uh, no, no, you don't. You I'll need to know J.D. Simo. Great blues artist great guitar player okay um yeah i mean that's kind of that's kind of where we're at brian and i are old school metal guys too aren't we brian oh yeah yeah uh yeah that's where it started way back and there might be some some bands that kind of got unnecessarily mixed in with that but no for me like uh jason mentioned if it wasn't for the black crows we wouldn't be doing this podcast i mean yeah it was their second record that really kind of changed my life yeah southern revival yeah 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 yeah. southern harmony music i I love i love yeah yeah i love amorica i love amorica yep oh wiser time time is like i literally could listen to that on repeat you could play that like honestly you could do that you can handle that when it goes into the because it goes from uh, whatever the song is right before it goes into it, like it's perfectly put together. Yeah. I mean, just like, and then the last song, the one that Chuck Lavelle plays piano on that, um, uh, Descending? Downtown Money Waster, Descending, Descending. Oh, Descend- oh my God, what a song! I remember hearing that, and I was, I was probably, I had to be like, maybe I was nineteen or twenty when I found those Black Crows. I mean, I, we all knew, you know, even as a kid, my dad, you talk about like playing in little rock, these rock cover bands, you know, playing hard to handle or playing, you know, that that stuff, like not. You know, but man, that that was just those albums were so good. And, you know, uh, and you talk about uh, Nick Drake earlier um, on uh, on Southern uh, Harmony, Southern Harmony, okay, whatever the album, yeah. the, the second album, um, I can see the cover. But uh, that what's the song? Uh, I haven't heard it. No, I'm, a, I'm about to go listen to it. But like uh, and then Motel Hotel Illness, Hotel Illness yeah. and like a few of those. Songs. Those, you know, st- those stones, those stones riffs. I mean, like those are just like, I mean, so much attitude. And, and I also always love the. Um, you know, I mean, it's so hard to do, but when they did the the, the tour with Jimmy Page, I mean, that that was yeah. pretty incredible, man. I mean, they they did some incredible work. I mean, that was about a decade. I've told people before there was a decade where they you could go see a Black Crows show. I think they got uh, disenfranchised because you know they they really would stop. They wouldn't they wouldn't play any hits anymore. They just walk out there and just say you know kind of screw the they crowd. Would jam. Play they would they got wanted. No yeah. But there was a time I saw them at the Township Auditorium in Columbia, South Carolina, when I was in college. And they played for about an hour and a half, and every song was a was a hit. It was like every one on top of the next one was like one yeah. of those ones that you're just like, yeah, they're they they definitely are some of my that I would put them as at the top of the American food chain. I mean, you know, I saw you know, like you said, Petty and stuff. But when it gets to a little harder rock, they're they're definitely, in my opinion, are um, are American uh, stones. 
you know, I mean, and with them playing again, that's really important. I'm glad they're going, they got back together because that seemed to be a, you know, a, quite the divide uh, between those guys mm -hmm. for a long time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Keep your fingers crossed. You yeah. And fast. also, you know, Jason mentioned Blackberry smoke, you know, they really kind of came to me like when Chris and Rich were apart, whatever, but you know, and there's a few handful other bands, you know, in Nashville, Tyler Brighton, the Shakedown, and yeah, Tyler, great, great guitar player. What a yeah, guitar player, man. Dude, well, Larkin Poe, his wife's band is amazing. Oh, they're they're amazing. I mean, they are they are like it's it's like you you're like you you click on it and you're like, well, there's no way that holy those shit. sisters you know, like, harmonize yeah. like only family can do. Like I've yeah. seen them play live, and it's just the stuff that they record doesn't do like you got to see them play live. Yeah, yeah. We should we should we should have started with tell me about Southern Rock and the Blues. I've just gone down this track for fucking, or sorry, I don't know if I can cuss on there. Forever. You can cuss. Yeah, yeah you can yeah, cuss. Yeah. Like, like, like you know, I mean I, I still remember hearing like, you know, if you, you get to Southern something, I remember hearing Robert Johnson as a kid and try asking my dad, like, who's playing with him? Because it sounds like three guitar players. And he yeah. was like, That's just one guitar player, you know, and that's and, and and because of all of that, it all for me personally, it's like I I can listen to you know, whether it be T-Bone Walker or Muddy Waters or, you know, what you, you know, you talk about uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and stuff. It's like, you know, those guys, you know, that that's their, you know, that's, that's, you know, Story Monday, T-Bone Walker, you know, like for the, for the Allman Brothers, you know, I knew the Allman Brothers version. There's a, there's a thing, if anybody yeah. who's young, if you, if you've made it this far in the podcast, here's the deal. you got to like, whatever your music is that you love, start figuring out who they loved because yeah, that's exactly. what matters. That's, uh, that's why, like, it was very important for like, you know, I remember Clapton's Unplugged when I was a kid. Well, it was so important for that to happen because it opened up this entire encyclopedia of music all of a sudden it's like well hold on who's this robert johnson guy wait a second who's this big bill Bro like it was like all yeah. these people that we would have no clue who they were mm -hmm. um and it was because he was willing to to open that door and it was almost like a tip of the cap to those guys who are completely forgotten you know lead belly and you know those people that nobody knows who you know kids but that's what but without those guys you know um there would be no black crows i mean there'll be no no mm -hmm. john mayer you know john mayer yeah to, you know you got to go back um and john mayer and I, loves the dead he's been playing that dead and company oh, gig forever yeah and if you listen to you know jerry and stuff like that stuff it's like it's a little not exactly my stuff but man you know it's like fish like those guys tedeschi trucks are probably saying they can yep. do 30 different songs in a night like it's like they learn so many of these songs and they, and they really do go back and back and back into the to the you know the blues world um, which is where it all originates i mean bob dylan i mean the truth of the matter is it's like dylan was smart like he, he he basically went down the rabbit hole of of all of these albums that you know found all this stuff and just kind of ripped a line from this and rips a line from this and rips a line from this and then writes a song around it and it sounds like it's something that's like uh pulled from the heavens and it's probably closer pulled from the devil because you know it's the blues music from mississippi or <laughs> that's you know right. and robert that's, johnson wasn't playing by himself he had the devil like yeah, yeah. duet <laughs> but you know and that's and so for me personally that's really um that's a very big influence for me it's it's a uh, it's as you get into that world um my music is really what I do personally, I write songs, but, but I always say I'm a Southern like storyteller. And, and a lot of it comes from the fact that I love, I love the blues music mm -hmm. that is so important to our music. And that's what the Allman brothers were. The Allman brothers were literally taking one way out. That was not their song. And they were making, you know, they're, they're doing like, it's just, it's just that type of stuff is so important. And, and, it, and figuring out where we all come from, um, is so is is very very uh vital to uh to to making uh new new things happen in music so yeah and you brought up led zeppelin with tangerine and zeppelin three i mean my favorite zeppelin song of all time is on that album and it's one of the greatest blues songs since i've been loving you like oh that's, yeah come yeah. on man 
Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you go, Zeppelin you go to like, blues. and then you get to like, you know, you could even that's what the 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 British stuff is. What's so important? I mean, that's um, you know, those guys were, uh, you know, we talk about the Stones and stuff, but those guys were able to bring to the forefront music that it was kind of dead because you know you have Elvis and these people mm-hmm. that essentially took little Richard's act and all these other guys and made it mainstream, but they still weren't able to give those guys credit. The stones, but and, and probably because of repercussions in the South and in America, but in the stones and, you know, Clapton, John Mayall, uh, you know, it's like Peter Green from, from Fleetwood Mac, like those, that, he's one of the best guitar players to ever touch a guitar, but those guys yep. were taking the sounds of, you know, of the BB Kings and the, and the, that that's what they were doing. They were, they were, and but they were, they were not, they didn't have the scars that we have in America because of racism to where they couldn't bring it up. And and we have the ability, uh, we need to thank those guys. We need to thank Keith Richards and, and Mick Jagger for that. Yeah. Because without those guys making sure that we all recognize, you know, Van Morrison, I, t- I brought him up earlier. Van Morrison's dad was a, was a, I believe he was a, he was a sailor, maybe merchant marine or something like that. So he would go to America and get all these old blues albums and take them home. That's the only reason Van Morrison knew that music existed. You know, he had Brownie McGee albums and all these albums that just you just didn't know existed. And that's what Dwayne Alvin, those guys grew up on. I mean, they, you know, Dwayne Alvin and they lived here until they were nine or 10 years old. They live in Nashville, you know, and then they moved to Jacksonville, poor white people, not much different than poor black people in the South. So they had this thing that was like they it was a melting pot and that's where it was all learned. So I think the blues um, and uh, and Southern rock are are as important to the uh, coming together of uh you know, of, of the United States of America as uh, I, I, did, I, I won't, maybe I won't say Martin Luther King and John Kennedy, but they're pretty damn close. So, Patrick, I like you. I dig, I, I dig what you just said there, kind of the, the foundational blocks, but you're on here to talk about your newest project <laughs> and we can't yeah. let you, we were having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, for we sure. We can't man. let you leave the interview until you talk about what's actually going on currently with your music. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I'm a, I'm a, in the midst of uh you know releasing singles for my album it's called carolina when i die i have a song that, that i wrote uh that's uh kind of an you know i don't know it's a it's 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 kind of like a a, a 21st century hymn for uh for the great state of south carolina i guess and that's the name of the album i, I grew up there and I, and I i hope one day i'm buried there i guess um and so I've released three songs so far. Um, I have a song called Six String Dreams, which I wrote with a guitar slinger named uh, Sadler Vaden, who is a dear friend of mine. Yep. Sadler is the guitar player for Jason Isbell. And Sadler and I wrote a song about, uh, you know, the the journey that we all take and how the dream is the same, no matter if you're playing at Madison Square Garden or if you're playing in the uh, corner of a Mexican restaurant in your small town. It's kind of we all have that. We start somewhere, you know, and um, and that's that was the first single. And then I, I re- released a song called Beautiful Day for Flying, which is probably a little more in the Lyle Lovett vein. Um, but uh, and then I just released Wrong Side of the Tracks, which is a mm-hmm. tune that I did. Um, you know, I, I, I like that one. It's it's pretty dark and it's got Branford Marcellus playing an amazing soprano sax. And, uh, and so, uh, and then uh, I think the next song is actually a song I wrote with Robert Randolph. Robert actually recorded it. Um, I think his version is called uh, Let It Do What It Do, but I, I always call it L-O-V-E. And so um, I, I did my version of that and uh, that's coming out uh, in December. And then the album will come out in, uh, I'll release a few more singles in the album in the beginning of, uh, of 24, right? the spring of 24. Um, that's the new world we live in. We just gotta, you gotta keep milking the system. And so that's- uh, You do, you gotta keep yeah. releasing tracks, but like the way everything's set up now, it's a lot easier for people to do that. It builds real interest and then you get a yeah. physical, are you releasing, are you gonna release a physical media? Like CD's yeah, final? Yeah, I'll do the I'll do the whole thing. I think what, what'll, what'll probably happen is I'll probably, um, 
you know, the, the vinyl world, it, you know, it, it caught fire again, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. You couldn't get any vinyl and now, uh, or nobody wanted vinyl. Now everybody wants it. You can't get it because it's so hard for them <laughs> to make it. So yep. I actually am not completely done. I tour all the time. I'm always on the road. Um, and so I, I actually have about three songs that I've got to do a couple vocals on and stuff. And I also have, I mean, another thing that's happening, which is we may we'll talk about it later, but uh, if we get on there again, but I am, I started a, a PBS show, well, American public television show called Southern songwriters with Patrick Davis. And that oh. starts, that airs um, nationally starting in uh, the January, February of next year. And so awesome. that, that's a lot of fun because cool. it gets me, I, I get awesome. to bring in, Thank you. I get to bring in a lot of my um, my friends. You know, I've been doing this for a long time, so I've got a pretty uh, pretty uh, big black book of uh, of my buddies I can call on, and and the idea is that we play a um, a show in a small town theater, um, and I do I say it's kind of like Anthony Bourdain meets Austin City Limits, and uh, so essentially it's uh, I go and talk to uh, folks in the um, in these small towns about what makes them special, and then we play wow. a show. And hey, guess what? It's Halloween, and you're getting trick or treaters. So. <laughs> I'm like, did you? Great, my alarm and my um, echo no, just went up. Let everybody know there's somebody at my front door. I hope no, it's you're listen. Kidding, man. It's six minutes early. You asshole kids, you got six minutes. Go away. No, yeah, that's funny. It's five o'clock. I know there's got to be some like rules here. Five o'clock, you know. Um, I anyway, am a rule yeah. follower, Patrick. The trick or treat does not start until six in Ohio. I know you got you guys are both an hour. They got now. They have five minutes. So no. They have five oh, minutes, five more minutes. No, that's, um, that's, uh, but anyway, that's, what's going on. It's, it's like, you know, so all of that is, um, just super, super busy. The songwriters of paradise stuff. Anybody wants to check that out. That's a lot of fun. I've had, I mean, Robert Randolph comes to that Mark Broussard comes to that. We, um, we, and those are pretty incredible uh, festivals. Uh, we do like four or five days in these places. And, um, you know, my, we keep it only 150 to 200 people max can are allowed to attend. And what that means is that we all get the ability to hang out, to actually converse, to have these real, uh, these real connections, which is, you know, once again, I always say that's, that's what we actually all want. We live in a world where, where we are more connected than ever. And we all, we all feel less connected than ever. So uh, I try to, I try to make sure that we, uh, we kind of remedy that a little bit like the black crows. <laughs> right on. You brought it like back. Nice. Where do we go ahead, Brian? <laughs> no, go ahead. I'll just say one, you got to come back on because for sure. I knew, Absolutely. I knew being you're coming Katrina back. Now, We've decided. Yeah, I'd love to, man. I'd love to. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get back when the, when the TV show's on it early in the year and the album's about to come out, man. And now that I know that this is like straight up, we just talking about Southern rock and blues. We'll just, we'll we just, just talk about whatever. Oh, yeah. We talk about <laughs> yeah, cereal and psychotic people, like whatever you want. <laughs> well, I mean, the blues, man, the blues are all are filled with serial killers and psychotic people. So you're, 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 you're going to be just fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, where do we send all of our listeners? Because after this conversation, they're absolutely interested in all, all the things that you've done. Um, where do yeah. we send them to find out more about your music and all the projects? Uh, you can go to patrickdavismusic.com. Uh, you know, you, you could just put in Patrick Davis. And I think there's a Mexican actor named Patrick Davis. That's not me. Um, you can find, That's you not know, a very Mexican a, name, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a very strange, actually. Um, but uh, but you guys, uh, you can find uh, find me online and, uh, you know, and all the all the uh, YouTube and all stuff, but patrickdavismusic.com is probably the best be best bet because you can find me. Uh, it gives you all the information for all the socials and all the streaming platforms and all that good stuff. But yeah, please uh, please say hello and and I really enjoy talking to you guys. And, uh, and I, I grew up with my dad. He owns a guitar store in South Carolina now. That's what he does now. Wow. And I see those guitars behind you. Yeah, oh, yeah, are, yeah, I collect guitars. These are these are actually. I have about I have about a hundred guitars, so it's a, it's a well maybe not quite that many, but I I collect guitars. That's my that's my investment strategy as I get older. So yeah. Uh, 
yeah, man. Like, okay, next time I'm in Nashville, I'm calling you because yeah, you got a, you got a few. <laughs> I like I see, guitars. I see, I I see got a oh, you got yeah. There you go. I didn't see you didn't move. Oh, that's a little Les Paul Junior. What year is that? Uh, it's a newer one. It's a 19. It's like when they reissued the you know with the P90s and everything. Yeah, nice. None of those are vintage. They're all yeah 10 12 whatever years. okay okay yeah yeah no i've 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 i have a tendency to try to buy the ones that are super super old that's that's kind of my idea i like i i look at i look at guitars as a piece of americana um you know they're um they're a part of uh they're our history that's why folks from other places try to buy them up is because it is a it's one of the only art forms that we have you know the you know talk Jew, uh, jazz or blues that stuff is um is our art form and and these are the instruments that made it made it happen for the world so um yeah there you go Amen, Brian. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for to Patrick Davis for coming on. Uh, Jason and I haven't even talked about it yet, but we got plans for you to be a regular guest, man. You got it. Yeah, you thanks, are man. coming back. You're oh, in. You're, you're thanks, trapped. Now, well, I really, I really appreciate it, man. And I, I really, you just I have really to do. tell Jewel that I said hi. That's it. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, I actually just I texted her a second ago, and she said, "Tell him I said hey." She did. I'm we, kidding, but that's good. <laughs> she can come on this. She can come on this podcast anytime too, because we just talk about random stuff. So yeah, yeah. Hey, All right. Wait, thank, thank you, man. Guys. Thank you so Y'all much be, for coming on. Have a good night, guys. Happy Halloween. Thank you for Patrick Davis to Patrick Davis for joining us on the podcast. It's always great to get to know about another musician, another artist and hear all these great stories, you know, especially coming from Nashville. And I, I really enjoyed hearing about Robert Randolph. I think that's probably my favorite part of it all, but it was all great. Yeah. I mean, again, a guy that's been around and has done a lot. I like talking to him a little bit about how, um, when you have a songwriting contract, how that works, how the business works on that side. Cause again, I don't, you know, we've had a lot of artists who were done their own material, but this is a guy that's written hits for a lot of people, including Jewel, which I was very interested yeah. about. So Jewel, if you're, if you're tuning in to listen to Patrick <laughs> Davis, your friend, please come on the podcast. Cause Brian and I would like to talk to you. Yeah, no, that was awesome. It was awesome to hear that, man. But yeah, he, uh, yeah, just as a great guy. And uh, just like I said, uh, loved hearing about new, new uh, artists and hearing about uh, everything that, that he's done. And I really can't wait to have it on, have him on again. Yeah. And, uh, Those behind the scenes guys, Brian, right. Who, who've been behind other people have all these stories uh, to tell and it's interesting and again and again somebody have a part two of to learn even more yep for sure yeah another part of the family so always remember southern rock is reverent blues is blood we'll see you next time Lessons 20 bucks a game. Lay your money down, take dead aim. House band rocking way too loud. What you gonna do for a backer crowd? There ain't no white, ain't no black. You're on the wrong side of the tracks. You're on the wrong side of the tracks. You tried to leave, but you came right back To the wrong side of the tracks It's in your blood and that's a fact Here comes a big old limo 
creeping up slow Cause anything you want you can get it to go The money comes up, deal goes down It looks like somebody's heading downtown Tires squealing, blue lights flashing Shots fired, cars crashing Well just keep moving and watch your back You're on the wrong side It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 